return you now to your regularly scheduled program. Hey everybody, this is Josh Martin. And I'm Marty Hyde. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Tattoos and Jesus podcast. I am very happy to be here. Here at TNJ, we seek to blend the righteous with the ridiculous. Please explain. We discuss coffee, counseling, Christianity, and whatever else crosses our mind. We hope you enjoy it. Okay, let's go. Welcome back, everybody, to another weekly podcast. Welcome to TNJ. Here's your host, Josh Martin, and on the mic right now is Marty Height. I'm trying to make this the most awkward, <laughs> awkward backwards. Yeah, I'm intro not, possible. I wasn't real sure what was going on. Yeah, today we've got just a, a normal episode, just a regular old TNJ. Uh, no magical guests. Uh, even though we've got like a ton on the list that uh, we're going to do. So we'll see here in a couple of weeks which, which guests we can wrangle in. We've got some good ones from from foodies to funny people to foodies. serious stories to Man. all kinds of fun stuff we can jump into. Well, let me know what who these people are whenever you get a chance. You're on. You're on. Just let me know. You are on the shared note with the list. Don't even act like you don't know what we're talking about. Hey, I... So, as we were testing our mics out earlier, mm-hmm. you know what I thought about? I don't, actually. The first time I was in this office, do you remember the first time we met face-to-face? Was that the time that I was doing the intervention on therapeutic? Excuse me? You you were my, I was your patient. You were my patient, and I was your therapist. Er- 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 no, not quite. <laughs> I came in here to get... To talk to you about getting my um, paperwork um, about doing the Liberty thing, but you what what was funny is because we've done this podcast in this room here for about I don't know what a year six months has it been longer than a year well since you but it oh, came yeah, to work since here I started yeah yeah so almost a year starting April and. Little did I know that first time we met, you know, yeah, that I would be looking at the flag behind you, mm-hmm. doing a podcast, because we ain't started the podcast yet. Yeah. Have you ever had moments like that where you're like, um, like these surreal moments when you're like, I experienced this, like I was here at another period of time having absolutely no clue the significance that this location or this person or this whatever would have in my life so funny story oh boy when i was in high school i would me and my friends would have key words for that to remember moments lodi what we'll we'll pass on lodi but (laughs) we would have like key words so say we were sitting on the beach there was a moment we're all sitting on the beach. We're chilling. It was like the end of like senior week or something. We had a key word that was, it was just an inside joke for the week. And we'd just be like, all right, if we say this word, everybody sh- triggers this memory. So, so you we created code, memories connected to words. Yeah, we would code <clears throat> memories like Do you that. remember any of these code words? Because I feel like that's an important caveat to this is you remembering the words that trigger the memories. So the words I don't remember. Is this like you're like 
inside joke. Hip, hypnosis, hypnosis, where it's like when I clap three times, you will come out of it. So like you're walking, and all of a sudden the radio or some random person says like Red Solo Cup, and, and it's you, just like yeah, and you have a moment. Yeah, that that happens with pineapple. Pineapple? Mm. Would you? Okay, all right. Upside hit. down pineapple. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> now, when after I explain this, okay. You will, for the rest of your life, this is a big response, you will, for the rest of your life, be playing this game. <laughs> Do you want to know what pineapple means? I feel like this is a weird movie <laughs> I'm a part of. This is a lifetime commitment. We didn't, I just want to let you know, we didn't know I what we were. I have to know. I have to know. So we're sitting there, there's like 10 of us, uh, and this guy, his name, his name is Taylor Hicks. Shout out, Taylor. He said, hey, I found this game online. I'm going to read it. He read it out, and here's the game, and you're about to play for the rest of your life. Every time somebody says the word pineapple, you start remembering this game, and you automatically start losing by thinking about this game. So just thinking about it means I'm losing. You're losing. So every time, <clears throat> but pineapple is the word that's going to trigger you to remember the game, to start losing at this game. When you forget about the game, you're winning. But every time so from now on it. you hear the word pineapple, I'm losing. that is the key word to trigger your memory for this game. Does this happen to you every time game. you hear pineapple? Yes, every single time. This happened... Is this why my you like freshman, ran my freshman year of college, 2011? Do you like run out of rooms and like try to distract yourself when you hear the word pineapple? No, I just I just start losing the game. So I'm currently I'm losing the game. Currently you're losing the game because we're talking about the game. You don't know that because everybody else could be thinking about pineapple right now too. Well, I've like already we, explained it, so you you're thinking about it. Oh my goodness! I so mean, pine, Everybody who's listening also now is playing. knows the game. And they're for losing the rest of your life. Now, pineapple. it may not be. Who, like, came, I up, could, who came This is the stupidest could, thing I've I ever heard. I can say it in this group message. I'm going to say it in the group message I got. There's like 12 of us. I'm, I'm just going to text the word pineapple, and I'll read the responses throughout the show if it's worthy enough. So he just, he did, we didn't, we stumbled into this game. Like, he was looking up like fun So like other games people play this play. game. Like, I'm part of a. This a, is a society. I'm, I'm part of an yes. underground society right now. This is a cult right now. That this just is joined. the. Dumbest thing I have ever heard. The other thing that we do is um, eleven oh four. There's a there's a game we play called eleven oh four first lunch because every year at Gaffney High, mm-hmm. I had first lunch and first lunch at Gaffney High started at eleven oh four. And so randomly, it'll be it'll be months that anybody said anything in this group text. It's like all of us that went to school together. Somebody will just randomly send eleven oh four at eleven oh four and say first lunch, and they get the point for the day. It's just like random stuff. Anyway, you're pineapple. <clears throat> you're losing the game. So it's just it's for the rest of your life. Do you like pineapples? You know I do. Remember I ate that whole can of pineapple every time you bring it to work. I didn't. You're have, losing the game every time. <laughs> I can't eat pineapple now. Uh, I'm telling you, I it, love it, pineapple. It's, it's just like it's. It's like was it Ma- Maslow's whatever training hierarchy of needs? Oh, which one? Which one was the guy who trained the who did the dog? Thing? Pavlov. Pavlov. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. It's like <laughs> that. Okay. Like ring the bell, start slobbering. Pineapple, start losing. Crap! Again. I'm losing again. 
what I'm saying. How do you? When does the game over? When you die. When do you die? <laughs> Dang. <laughs> because you play for the rest of your life, unless you just forget the game or you forget the keyword. And but then you're at risk if like you're seventy, you haven't talked to me in years. We are millionaires, and I run into you, and I say, "Hey, Marty, pineapple." And then all of a sudden, you know. So really, the winner is the person that gets dementia first. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We can go with that route. Speaking of which, did you see Bruce Willis was diagnosed with dementia? I did not. Did you see Texas got hit by an asteroid yesterday? Really? Or a meteorite? I talked to my mom last night. She lives in Dallas. She didn't mention an asteroid. Yep. Um, a meteorite. A thousand, <clears throat> half a ton. Thousand pound meteor. Is this true? Yeah, look up the video. It's 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 a it's literally a fireball in the sky that hits the ground. They went and got pieces of it. I can't. I don't have time for that right now. I want to go back to death. Okay. Well, I was talking to well, no. I was well. It reminded me. I was talking to um, someone earlier, um, a patient of mine who used to be a nurse. Yeah. And she was talking about a time when they pronounced someone dead who was actually alive. Have you ever heard these stories of like dead people? Like, okay, at the risk of sounding sacrilegious, I'm not saying these people really died and came back to life, but like dead people that came back to life. Right. Have you ever... Never encountered or... <clears throat> I mean, I'm probably, I've probably heard of stories like mm-hmm. that, but... Yeah, she said that they were working third shift and a patient uh, coded and they attempted to, you know, resuscitate, you know, whatever they do, shock paddles, whole deal, blow in their mouth, pound the chest, and the person passed away. And like 30 minutes later, they're sitting there filling out the death certificate and one of them looks over and is like, hey, I think they're breathing. <laughs> And their first response was, nah, it's just gas. <laughs> that's wow. Said. Wow. Okay. And then they were like, no, I think that's a little more intentional. And so they hooked her back up. Like they had already disconnected everything, hooked her back up. And it was like there was a pulse there. There was a, a low level heartbeat. Here's where it gets weird stayed alive for four more days. They had one child. Who had not seen them? I think it was a a mom. I don't. It was a. I think it was a female. One child that had not made it to the hospital because they lived in Florida or somewhere far off, drove up, came in the hospital, and the moment they saw their mom, it was like it's okay, mom. Gone. Man, you've never heard any of these stories. Well, I've heard of like. No, not really. I mean, I've heard of like people popping out of caskets, but I don't really know if that's like a. I think that's a response, like a, a biological, physical. Or... Well, I think sometimes there's a, a a physiological condition that can cause muscles or to spontaneously move, like post mortem. I've heard some of those too, but I think those are like, I don't think they pop up, and it's like, hey, hey Jimmy. Yeah. I don't think it's anything like that. I've heard of people being buried alive on accident. Like like claw marks on the top of the casket. Oh, have you heard that? Did you tell me that? Yeah, oh, 20 oh. minutes ago. 
No, you didn't. I did. Dead Ringer. But you didn't tell me that specific story, did you? Yeah. Oh. Because that's where we were heading with this conversation. <laughs> you told me about claw marks on top of a casket? Yes. Oh, I must have been eating. I wasn't paying attention. Okay, tell me the story. Well, it's not really a story. I mean, I just thought you were jumping ahead of me. Um, no. <laughs> oh, now. Yeah, never mind. Go ahead. So, that's like, have you ever heard that that's a dead ringer? You ever heard that? And horseshoes. Phrase. And that, don't they use that in horseshoes? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, that's a but ringer. that's a phrase. It's like that's a dead ringer. Well, what it comes from is yeah, back in like the 1800s, when they were doing you know traditional burials in a casket, and this was before they would do the whole like embalming. Because let me tell you something: whether you're alive or dead, once they take your blood out, the outcome is determined. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, so this was pre-embalming era. Uh, and so they would, there were situations where they would have to dig caskets back up and they would have claw marks like the The inside of the casket would be tore slam up where they thought someone had died, I guess buried them and they woke back up and then of course they died again. Um, and so what they started doing, cause sometimes you'll still see this. If you go to like a really old cemetery, there will be like a bell or something in the graveyard. And so what they would do to, I guess, ensure this is they would tie a string to the person's finger and run it up out of the ground to a bell. And so if the person woke up, they could just start ringing the bell and it's a dead ringer. And then they would know there's somebody alive under the ground. We need to dig them back up. However, there was an unintended consequence to this. They didn't realize, and I'm guessing they shortly thereafter did realize, was the situation that you just alluded to, the person sitting up in the casket. Post-mortem, there's movement that happens to a body. And so they had all these dead ringers that were just dead people moving in the casket. And so they had all these bells going off. That were not due to people being alive, but due to be just post-mortem atrophy or something. I don't know. Whatever causes that involuntary movement of the body. And it was triggering the bell to ring, but the person wasn't actually dead. So they removed the bell system, I'm guessing, after that? They did remove the bell system. They started slitting their throats after that. To just wow. Sure okay. <laughs> well, let's just hop in. <laughs> Warning. I'm just kidding. That's not true. Uh, no, everything's true up to that point. Um, I mean, I I don't know. I guess there's a process. Like, I don't know embalming. When embalming happens, so you can still get buried without the embalming process. Some religious, personal, cultural practices don't do that. Um, rumor has it, no one's no one's came back from a cremation yet. Mm, imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> you imagine. All right. So, all right. Hear me out. Okay. You're in a casket. Mm-hmm. You wake up and you realize that you have been accidentally buried. Mm-hmm. Do you imagine the panic you'll be you would be in to realize that you're six feet underground and there's absolutely no way of getting out? Like what would you do? How long do you think it would take? 
I literally feel panic in my chest just I know, thinking I about too. it. I did too while I was sitting over there. I'm going to have a panic attack live on the show to demonstrate. Like what? Like you gravy. Because you can't open it. It's not it's, a big space. Right? It's not a big space. You can't open it. Like and you're I'm, just, you're laying there. Like have you ever crawled under a bed? <clears throat> like when you were a kid, like I'm too fat crawling under a bed now. But like as a kid, you crawl under a bed, like side to side, it's not the same. But I, I imagine like that distance, that like four inches to the bottom of the bed frame, like that's kind of what you're feeling. I mean, you're. Mm-hmm. But to know there's no way out. Like, <sighs> I mean, imagine, I guess you would start yelling. Yeah, or just. Cause here's my question: Could you can you even get your arm up to like tap, or do you have to like hit use the back of your arm? Like, could you even? Is there enough space to even get your arm? Like, oh, um, <laughs> Mar just hit I'm physically trying to yeah. do this. Like, above like, your head, or would you have to like? <laughs> right, like mummy, mummy knock. All right, so all right, so, all, right, all, right, all right, this is oh, so imagine say, you're claustrophobic. Say mentally, I mean, it would just be. I mean, I guess you'd run out of oxygen at some point, but I might just start breathing faster because I would rather die from running out of oxygen because that you just go to sleep. Like that's no different than when people um, use carbon dioxide from like an exhaust uh, to take their own life. Like they're just replacing oxygen with non-oxygen, and you get tired and you go to sleep. And so I would probably try to focus on that. Like if I can breathe all the oxygen out, I will just gradually get tired and I will drift off to sleep. And that's it. If for some reason you could get out or open it. Yeah. Do you think that you could dig yourself out Mm. of the hole? Here's the problem. This is what we're not taking into account. What condition... What situation did I have to go through for them to think I was dead? See, you're not waking up in your best we're not, version of we're yourself. We're not there. We're not there. So say you're you're like you are right now. Right now. Say something, something crazy happened. You were buried. Yes. Either accidentally or by the mafia. It doesn't matter. Okay. You're underground six feet in the current condition you are. Mm. You open. Because technically, you know, you're you are taller than mm. six feet. So your body length. So my forehead could get out. I mean, my man bun would be poked does out. Does the dirt, I guess, harden? I would assume. I mean, how much time has passed? I don't know. From the burial question. to the t- like, I feel like I would have enough determination within myself to get myself. If I could be in the dirt, I'm I'm good. Like I can, I'll no find shot. A way. No shot. I would. Find I would a like way. to think so, but six foot of dirt is crushing down on you. I don't know that you can use because so basically all you have to work with is the airspace of the coffin itself. And so you would have to displace dirt and gradually work yourself up because my fear is this. The ground above you would just would just shift in and the airspace would fill. And so you would be trapped about four to five foot down with zero airspace Nothing to knock on. You wouldn't be able to pick up your hands, and the the pressure from the dirt would still be so overwhelming that you would be trapped in the dirt, and you would start breathing in dirt, and the saliva would turn it to mud, and it would fill your lungs. 
It's a little <clears throat> dramatic. That's accurate. First of all, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mouth open digging out right now. Like my mouth is not in any way. But if you can't form. breathe, but I feel like if you're in the dirt, you there may be some oxygen in the spaces. I don't know. Like I don't know. Like what? Didn't that make sense? Like if you're in the dirt, or does it? I think you would need to keep your head pointed down so that your head by default would would keep dirt would fall around it, so it would keep a, an airspace. And then you could yell at least. What would you do if you were four foot under in the dirt trying to dig out and you heard lawnmowers above you? You know they're right there and that they cannot hear you. they're not going to hear me, yeah. This is like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You ever watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Yeah. In the 90s? Yeah. And they were miniature and they were running through the yard and the mower was coming. And it tried to suck them up. Yeah, that was a scary scene. <laughs> that was that was your version of a horror movie growing up. Listen here, Leprechaun. I looked up the um, that le- like you know that when Bill was like the Leprechaun last. I looked up that scene where oh, was it uh, Dana Carvey and Mike Myers? Mike Myers are doing that on uh, what's the show? Wayne's World. Wayne's World. It wasn't nearly as dramatic as Bill made it. Yeah. So, Wayne's World. It's kind of like, it's, it's 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 funny. I enjoy it. All right. So, while we're on the topic of death, mm. <clears throat> I had cancer. What a lead in there. Yeah, you didn't see that punchline coming. Um, and so because I do have a question that leads off of our. Dead Ringer conversation, but it was prompted to a degree by, you know, my experience. And I can't remember if I've shared on the show or not about, uh, you know, my my story with cancer. And so I'm not going, I'm not sharing the whole story today. But the short of it is in 2018, um, I was diagnosed with um, testicular cancer. Less than 24 hours later, I was in an operating room. And thankfully, everything was fully contained. It was removed. I did not have to do chemo. I did not have to do radiation. Um, I just have to do annual checkups uh, for, I think, seven years. And so this is like year number five or six. And so I think I might just have one more before I'm determined to be, you know, cancer-free. I don't have to come back for visits. Um, But that was today. I had my annual CAT scan, and then tomorrow I'll meet with my oncologist to review the results. <clears throat> Good news, I got the preliminary results in my chart, um, which I have, a, I have a bit of an issue with the fact that they upload the results before you meet with the doctor, because what if your results aren't great, and then or you don't know medical language, and so I'm seeing medical information before my doctor has the ability to break the news, cushion the blow, or explain anything. I really think that's a poor practice. I feel like it should be they could upload it, but there should be this place where it's like when to release it to the public, like when to release it to the patient. Yeah. And it should be after the, I mean, I think they should be able to postpone it to after the medical appointment, you know, um, not th- I'm, anyway, side note, but that was this morning. And so, but back in 2018, when this happened, like, honestly, like I don't tell a bunch of people, like if they ask, you know, that I had cancer because I, I don't wear the ribbon. I don't wear the t-shirt because I don't, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't, you know, there's a lot of people who have lost their lives due to cancer. There's a lot of people that have went through radically life-changing experiences. 
None of those were me. Yeah. I knew that it was in my body less than 24 hours. It was fully contained. It was very low level. It was like 97% treatable, even if it metastasized. <clears throat> and so I don't feel like my situation, it was about as low risk as you can be. And it has proven to that I've been safe. However, that day, the day that I got that phone call, I never forget it. I was sitting in my office. I had just gotten back from having the ultrasound. And, you know, when my doctor personally called me, when you answer a phone call and your doctor's on the phone, you know, crap's hit a fan. You know, they just don't, you know, call you to tell you blood work looks good, you know, and then subsequently having to digest that news while I drove to my wife's school because she didn't even know that I had been to the doctor for this to have to tell her that I've just been diagnosed with cancer as much as they can diagnose it without a, a biopsy, of course. And then immediately in the midst of that conversation to have to go to the urologist to get it confirmed, to get this surgery scheduled, and then meet with my both my in-laws and then my parents and family later that night and divulge to them the day's events. And so there is this moment when like life and reality meet, right? Most days we just go about life with some maybe abstract or ambiguous realization that like trouble is out there and it could find me. But in that moment, in that, in the days that follow, there's this realization of like, like Marty, this just hit you. Like you had cancer. Where's this going? What could happen? Like, and so, I mean, that's, it's, it's kind of scary. Um, and so it just, it was this very surreal moment. And so even in the lowest threat level that I was, uh, it makes you think about life, right? So I can only imagine for people that are diagnosed with much more severe debilitating and life-altering diseases and uh, diagnoses, <clears throat> how impactful that is in that moment. Um but it's a it's a weird thing. I can't explain it. It's not hard. It's just it's bizarre. It's a weird thing. Funerals are a little bit like that, where you're like acutely aware of mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a very, very weird situation. But a situation we have to face nonetheless. Because last time I checked, there's never been a fully human person that hasn't faced death. Right. How much of that, do you think that experience, I guess for you personally, altered any way that you thought or lived? Or was it a in the moment realization that faded away after everything was clear? Because I mean, I guess it's, for it to be so short of a time, it could have been right. easily more well, dismissed. <clears throat> well, my story is a little more complicated than that because I was diagnosed on December 7th, 2018, I believe was the day. It was a Thursday. Um, at, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's December 7th. Well, that was that was at the end. That was kind of the cherry on the top of the like the worst year of my entire life. And so my whole family had just went through 
an incredibly difficult time. And so I was already at a place where there was almost some surreal realizations happening that were very difficult to work through. And we were kind of rebuilding at that point or beginning the healing process. And then that happens. In addition to that, my dad had had bladder cancer like shortly before that. And so my dad has bladder cancer, which he's fine now. And then I get cancer. Like that's it's just weird. So my immediate family is going through a really hard time. My dad's just had cancer. And he's on the on the men from that. Then I get diagnosed with testicular cancer in December. Fast forward to the first quarter of the next year, and my dad has a horrific fall and has to be air flighted. And his it was very much kind of a life threatening situation um, that led to a year, a couple years of rebuilding. And so there was a series of life-altering, life-threatening moments that were all kind of clustered um, in a relatively short period of time. So, yes, I would but say... It wasn't that exact <clears throat> moment. It was more of a buildup of moments. There was a culmination that of moments. created a more... And so if if my life had been great, everything would have been smooth sailing... I think the impact of my diagnosis would have been less. Yeah. But in the context of the bigger picture of everything going on, I would say yes. That season of life permanently changed me. And so there's some acute change, right? There's an immediate level of change that happens afterwards. And you're right, because it fades with time. But I do think there has been permanent change that is uh, ir- irreversible for the good. I mean, for yeah. the good since since that season of life. All right. So as a counselor, what have you witnessed as far as people that have experienced either near-death experiences yeah, life-altering diagnoses, <clears throat> mm-hmm. life-altering, you know, what in 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 severe aspects in relation to mm-hmm. death. How does that change, or have you seen it change the mindset of people, or have you seen it not really change the yeah. mindset or, or anything? There's a very predictable when someone goes through a life or death situation, whether it be somebody close to them that dies, or they themselves have some type of you know threatening situation. It's very, it's very predictable in that it's this like, I just can't wrap my mind around it. Like that's everybody's first response is like, you know, they talk about the five stages of grief, right? And one of them is like just kind of bargaining, like, is it true? Is it not true? Like what, you know, and, and that's almost universally true. Like this is not happening right now. Yeah. Like this didn't just happen to me. Like denial. I, exactly. Like I, I can't like. It's unfathomable. Mm-hmm. I will never talk to this person again. I will never see my family again if I die. Like, there is a complete, like, unfathomableness to it because it's like you are, like, acutely interacting with something. Honestly, it's kind of like when you think about God being mm-hmm. always, forever, and ever. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's always been and he always will be. Like, it just make my makes my brain hurt. Because I can't wrap my mind around it. 
it's almost it's a little bit like that. Yeah. Because it's like there is this this irreversibility about death that makes us just like confused and 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 there's a denial there it's like nah this is not and with time we're able to come to grips with that but it takes time and the amount of time is different per person it's different based on the severity of the loss or what has happened um you know it's it however when it comes to people's specific responses the biggest, biggest, biggest variable to how people respond, in my opinion, is 100% conditional um, on their eternal view of life. And I don't just say Christians, because <clears throat> as a whole, people of the Christian faith that I know that lose somebody they love does a remarkable ability to find peace in the midst of pain. However, I know some Christians who do a really crappy job of that. And I know some non-believers that do a pretty good job experience loss because they are fully convinced of their own worldview, which which is conflicting to me because I'm like, I may disagree with that. I may disagree with the worldview, but if they're fully convinced of it, there's tremendous peace for them because they believe they know what the destiny of their loved one was or the destiny of their own future if death were to occur. Right. So with death, yes. Do you feel like and this I guess this is more of like Maybe what you've seen, maybe what you've experienced. An encounter, an experience with death, whether you lost a loved one, a near-death experience yourself, a diagnosis, whatever. Mm -hmm. If you had to take a guess, it's not a both-and situation. So we're going to go ahead and... (laughs) I'm going to have to make a choice here. Yeah, there's going to be a choice. Oh, you're setting me up. Do you think the outcome of that person's mindset or decision-making gets better or worse based off of that encounter? Since you're making me make a choice. Yeah. There's no... Well, some, I understand that some people... I think it gets clearer. Okay. I think you still... People, you, there's still a, a, a non-answer. No, here. no, no. What I mean by clear is it gets better. It gets so? more decisive because what it is, I think we try to avoid, and these are all people, we try to ab- avoid the topic of death and dying as much as possible. And so, but at some point it's going to catch you. And I don't mean like you personally, it's more of a, like somebody's going to die. Like you're going to have to come face to face with immorality, Im- immortality, <laughs> immorality, <laughs> immortality or mortality, I guess, mortality. At some point. Yeah. And like it's going to hit you personally. You're going to have to wrestle with it. And for people that face that and to come to terms with mortality, they make peace with it. You know, when I talk to people that thought they were going to die, they make peace in that moment. I will, you know, I'm not going to give a lot of examples. Um, but I think of a situation very clearly from my family 
where someone had been diagnosed with an illness and we and knew I think they knew they were passing away and the peace that shifted they had made peace with it and seeing their peace gave me peace because I have to believe that God instilled that peace in the midst of such a scary moment because the eternity was was fixed but I also think people just have the ability they just are able to come to peace with tragic situations when they're unavoidable um, but I uh, but I think that that's different too in people that don't have eternal security when their security is not determined and all of a sudden they're faced with and a completely irreversible or most likely irreversible outcome, panic sets in. You know, kind of that idea of you woke up and you're in a coffin six feet under the ground. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I picture in my head that would be like. If I lived my whole life and all of a sudden I, I'm six foot under the ground in a coffin, no way out, and I don't know my destiny, that panic is what I feel. Yeah. Do you think there is, because this this can go a lot of different directions, but we won't we won't go there. We won't go there. We'll keep it. We'll keep. This it is straight. a really lighthearted conversation. Yeah, we'll keep it. We'll keep it. Straight. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> there's a lot of a uh, lot of there's a lot of routes we can go. We might have to do a little part two here. But do you think you people can? I don't know if this is the right question or not. But do you think people can gain that clarity? without those experiences or do you think it's solely something that has to be encountered or experienced to get that type of clarity for somebody's life experienced you think so yeah no clear. i mean i think they can gain clarity i mean we can read books read scripture we can talk about it but there's something you know i mean but that's kind of a universal principle like you can only know so much before you have to experience it for yourself like experience something allows your senses to interact with it experience something it brings a clarity and a realness that hypothetical doesn't do for people like at some point you got to take the stage at some point you got to swing the bat take the shot do the counseling session like at some point and in that what you believe to be true becomes true. Yeah. And it becomes real. So thinking I'm th- this is one this is my think mm-hmm. thought process. God, that was terrible grammar per usual. But for somebody out there that may be we'll go both we'll go both ways here. For somebody out well, there both and actually both and for somebody out there that has never had a true encounter, a true experience, <clears throat> yeah, they're either extremely anxious about it or completely oblivious about they're death. They're peace through naivety kind of thing. Yeah, ignorance is bliss. Yeah, or they're they're freaking out about it. Yeah, because I don't think you need to go looking for death. Right. I mean, don't like go post up on the corner and be like, well, let's see if an accident comes through today. Like, it's just one of those things like life hands some people experiences that they don't hand others because you got to think like what we're not talking about or what are the unintended consequences of becoming very friendly with death? 
So that is not. I mean, there's some unintended consequences of having to wrestle with that too. And so for the person that's able to live in that naive bliss, like you keep rolling, bro. Okay, so that's that's where I was going with it. Is there advice for either one? Because here's the reality is ignorance is bliss, but at the at deep down, me and my brother in law was actually having this conversation. Uh he was texting me about it. Deep down, most people have a fascination with death to a certain extent. Right. Or that it's, it's something that everybody battles with, no matter what. Every single person battles with it. Mm-hmm. So the for, for me, ignorance is bliss. It's kind of you haven't experienced it or you haven't encountered it yet. Mm-hmm. Do you – is there is that good? Like in, for your professional opinion, yeah, is I, ignorance is bliss good mm-hmm. or is there something that maybe – a little drop of death or a little drop in the sense of like little devil. Hypo- you. Yeah. A little hypothetical yeah. brings more clarity for them to help them. No, I mean, yeah, I do think it will, it will change them. It will mature them. But again, I don't think you need to go looking for it because it's so no different. It's no different than how do you do that without looking for it? How do you, yeah. How does well, okay. That it's more like, okay, here's, it? here's my recommendation. Don't go looking for death. Death will find you. Someone will die. Like you will lose yeah. someone, even if it's your dog. Yeah. Go get a goldfish. Here in about three weeks, it will die. Right. You don't go looking for it. No, no, no. You're no, not no. a yeah. weird no, psychopath. Don't, don't look for it. Here's but my bigger recommendation. The clarity that Stop it avoiding it. Okay. That's fair. Stop avoiding it. We live in a culture where people become so uncomfortable with death that they avoid they avoid it or out of the desire to protect their children, what they believe is protecting their children is they try to uh, prevent them from experiencing it. And I think that is a disservice. Yeah. And most of the time, if I talk to somebody that's very uncomfortable with death and so they avoid funerals, they avoid anything related to that. It's because of some pain in their own life that's unresolved. Right. It's not because they just were born genetically to be predisposed to fear of death because we all are fearful of death. I think it's more of a trauma response because there is an unresolved situation like in that they maybe lost somebody when they were young and it provokes an incredibly strong reaction. They haven't made peace with that. Yeah. And so they avoid anything that triggers it. Yeah. Face your crap, man. Face your crap, ma'am. Yeah. Like deal with it because let me tell you something, avoiding the funeral might avoid the trigger that makes it aware, but everything in our life that impacts us that we've never dealt with impacts you every single day. You just don't realize it. Yeah. Deal with it. But my bigger recommendation is don't try to protect your kids from it. Or my thought <clears throat> process was having unresolved issues with someone. Mm-hmm. That you never know what happens at any point. Yeah. Because oh yeah. In yeah, that yeah. sense of death is not close, and then yeah. something happens, and then those unresolved issues eat mm-hmm. at you for the rest of your life. No, that's a good point. That's a, yeah. That's solid. So, and and as well for like, mm-hmm. don't protect your kids from it. And again, you want to be sensitive to the age of your child, right? But you need them to know because here's the reality. What you learn as a child translates to how you live as an adult. What you learn when you're lo- young teaches you how to live when you're old. 
And so if you're taught, if you're not taught how to deal with loss, you will not know how to handle loss when you're older. Like loss and pain are part of life and we have to deal with it. We have to cry about it. We have to love it out. We have to get the lasagnas delivered to our house by 40,000 church members. It's part of the process, right? It doesn't mean you have to become comfortable with it. I'm not going to go seek out funerals. You don't have to touch the body. But we have to know that it's a part of life and we need to deal with it. We don't need to avoid letting our kids. Because I know, you know, I've heard stories about like the dog got ran over. Because animals are a beautiful way to teach young people about loss. Beautiful. Beautiful way. Safe way. Right? It's a safe way. Because guess what? Fido dies. The hamster bites the bullet, gets ran over. Drinks, wow. drinks. I need to hear that story. How did the hamster get out in the road? That's what I want to know. That man and, is determined. But I also know families, but because they don't want to see their kids hurting, they come up with some insane story as to why the dog's gone. And on some level, everybody knows like something's not right, but we don't deal with it. Like the kid needs to cry. The kid needs to feel that hurt. Because it's teaching them this is a healthy part of life. Like, it is healthy to grieve. It is okay to grieve. And we will celebrate the life of Fido. And we will grieve the life of Fido. And we will learn how to move on. And it also shows them today's really hard. Tomorrow's going to be hard. But one day it's going to be a little easier and a little easier. And we'll always miss Fido. But we'll be able to get past Fido. Yeah. And it teaches them the grief process. That is really healthy. Yeah. So that when Aunt Susie, Uncle Jim, your great-grandparents or grandparents, when they pass away, they already know how it feels. They're acquainted with the grief process. And you're teaching them how to grieve well. Uh, but to your point, the other half of it is, is when you face life or death situations, it gives life some more perspective. Like, what do you want to hold on to? What do you want to let go of? Who do you need to make peace with? Or who do you just need to forgive? So what would you, um, that grief part was good. Speaking of counseling, you need to watch Shrinking, the Apple oh TV show goodness. I've been telling you about. His advice, I've actually thought about using it in session, but I haven't yet because it's on a TV show. But his advice to the guy. He's going to look at you and be like, yeah. did you just quote Shrinking? Well, his his advice was, Grieve hard yes. for 15 minutes a day while listening to a song that reminds you of that person and then be done with it. Yeah. And so he, and then you just, you keep stretching that out. And so they go through this show where each mm-hmm. person, because he lost his wife, things like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's um, actually super solid advice. See, that's what I thought, but I, I call it a TV show, we, so I don't know I whether I can wor- use it. Well, I've heard it called worry time. Okay. You set aside, and like initially you might do it. Six times during the day, but it's the idea of if when we have a really uncomfortable emotion that we're trying to work with, it can dominate our lives because we feel like it's always there. And just having permission to kind of put it on the shelf for a few hours and then bring it off, it actually gives our body time to to like to rebound. Yeah, and then we can feel that emotion really strongly and then disconnect from it. You want to know the key to making it work though? Come up. When it's not expected. What? Yes. Yeah, because when it comes up, when it's not expected, you tell yourself, oh, wait, 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 it's not, it's not worry time right now. It's not grieving time. Yeah. That's at 4 o'clock. But if you don't have that, 
then it'll just happen. It'll just yeah. happen. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. And with grief, it's a little. I mean, the emotions are so strong initially that's not realistic. Right. It's just there. Like yeah. that's not a panacea right. for all situations, but it can be really helpful. The key is this though, is if you have a time like that, you need to set an activity at the end of it. That's a, that is really hard. Like it's an invasive activity. Or else, because if you're like, okay, I'm done crying for 20 minutes, let me turn on the TV. If those emotions are still present, the TV won't distract you enough, and you'll, you'll just sit there and daydream about it. That's good advice. And ruminate. Like, you need to, like, physically get up and say, okay, I'm going for a run now. I'm going to go play cards with my spouse now. I'm going, you have to, like, right. you physically take yourself and go do something, you know, that uh, that will force you to disconnect from that moment. I got you. So, that's my only side note. All right, so last one. All right. The Bring other side of this, somebody who is almost has it's a term phobia, oh, whatever yeah. phobia, fear death. This creating severe anxiety about death. Yeah. What about advice for them? You can't avoid it, man. With most phobias, you can avoid the phobia. Yeah. Right. Exposure. I'm scared. Yeah. There's no. You Lock can't, yourself in a coffin. Bury you six foot under. How to get out? Yeah. Um. Why? Like why it? I would say this. I'm not as concerned about somebody has a phobia of death as I am the why. Do you have a phobia of death? My guess is the why is similar to what we just discussed. In that, what happened in your life that created this phobia? Or what has not happened in your life that gives you anxiety about death, right? So that's maybe you lost somebody and you haven't made peace with that. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you have this awareness that we are eternal beings and you have not figured out your soul yet. Yeah. And that's what's freaking you out. And, and so because I find that most people go through some form of an existential crisis, which is like a crisis of existence. Because I think fundamentally at the core of all of who we are, we recognize that we're spiritual beings and that there's an eternal component to us. And this is people of faith and faithless. They have this kind of awareness. And there's moments in life when that comes to the surface. And for people that have not made peace with their existence and the eternal part of who they are, they can they can have tremendous anxiety uh, because on some level they know. Yeah. So for those people, I'd say you rectify or remedy the cause of the anxiety and the fear of death will care for itself. You know, it made me think about, Mm -hmm. there's this, in my head, I don't know if you do this, this might just be me, but I think it's mostly everybody. In my head, my life has already been painted in a way to where I know in my life I've played out certain things to where you know, around this age, I want to yeah. do this. Around this age, me and my wife would do this. And around mm-hmm. this age. And that, this kind of vision and this kind of life plan, I feel like all of a sudden gets altered with encounters of death. Mm-hmm. To where all of a sudden this plan that you have unconsciously or consciously or however this kind of plays out, yeah, all of a sudden becomes, well, what if I don't make it? So, so that was my question is, is there a point in your mind when you quit planning out life events? Well, it's just like, <laughs> are, are you, you know, sensing you, something? That, well, yeah, no, I got just, four, I got through 42 planned out. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's just like, you know, me and my wife will talk and be like, oh, well, you know, yeah. because there's not a, 
this gets like I said, this gets into a whole other topic that we're not going to dive into. I know we got to wrap up. It gets into this thing to where, in my mind, my death. Yeah. I'll use your term to use earlier. My death is a beautiful thing. Yeah. In what I have played out in if, my mind, if the storyline holds pans true, out. yeah, like yeah, retiring, everything's going well. Mm-hmm. Probably get sick. Probably die. You know this whole, but that's not the cat. Like you, and then all of a sudden, for me, mm-hmm. it's more of I hear things, especially sometimes in sessions where it's like they had their life planned out. That's not and it didn't reality. Work. Yeah. yeah, here's here's the weird thing, and I think again. I think maybe a lot of people do this, but I know I did is, okay, here's what's kind of creepy. There are, I have called my shots so far in life. I've said at this age, I think I'll be ready for this next step. It has come to true almost every time. Like when I was in my early twenties, I said, I will be ready for marriage at age 25. I got married at 25 and 10 months. I called my shot as far as, okay, when I'm this age, I'll be ready for this step in my career. I'll be ready for kids at this age. It has it has worked out. So part of that is I just think like, Marty, this is the path of your maturity, and this is when you're going to be ready for this. And I'm just kind of like just recognizing like how my maturity is. But then part of me is like, that's kind of creepy. Like I keep calling my shots. Um, and so, but then there's this weird comfort in like, in my head, I'm like, I feel purpose in my life. Like you said, in these different like decades. Mm-hmm. This is what I see this purpose. And so part of me is like, that's God reinforcing that like he still has me here. Like these these next steps are being like uh, placed in my mind. Like there's this purpose being generated, which gives me this comfort that I'm not going to die right now. I'm not going to. But then I think, Marty, that don't make a lick of sense. Because right. I know people right. that have felt God directing them or leading them and or setting purpose, just... and then something happens. Yeah. And so on one hand, I'm like, this gives me comfort that God is guiding me. And then other times, it's like, this is creepy. Uh, but I'll conclude with this. You know, kind of the words of Paul. I think it's Paul. Where he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The moment I die, I will have wished it would have happened much sooner. Because I believe that in death, my life will become immeasurably better than I can imagine. But because I cannot taste or see it from this side of the eternity, I want to cling to earth for as long as possible. Yeah. The things I love, the people I love, the experiences I love, and and what I want to see with my family, what I want to see in this world holds greater value to me than what I know will be immeasurably more just because I know I can't taste it right now. And so I know it's it's an incorrect priority, but it's an unavoidable situation too. Kind of like until you face it, you can't realize it. You know, and so as much as I I can fear death and be like, I'm not ready, like, it's better, like, to live is Christ, but to die is even more gain. And and coming to terms with that is is a challenge. Random statement that will, and then we'll close. Okay. Have you ever thought that you've outlived God? I'm done with you. No, seriously. What are you even talking about? Jesus. Oh, you you're mean older than Jesus when he walked on earth. Yeah. 
I didn't know what the crap you were saying. Does that like ever hit you a little it, bit? All it tells me, because I have this weird theory. I told this to somebody the other day that 30, like, because really humanity peaks in their early 30s. And so I have this whole theory that God couldn't have lived past 30 because he was perfection. And so there's a point where I feel like your your body, your cells, your biology peaks. Mm. And I feel like he couldn't have lived past that. Because at that point, there's there's decay. There's And so like I have this, I don't, I don't even know if it's like theologically sound. Like it's just this weird thing I think about. Like it wasn't physically possible to live past that because like would, it, would God have been God if he had gray hair? Like could he have gray hair? Like. Or is there theological contradictions to that? Like he was God. Like, the Dark Knight supports he, that theory. Can he age? So, Die, well, hero. Live yeah. long enough to be the villain. And so, so I'm you're like, saying I got three years of good, good right. stuff. So you need to take advantage because that's where I'm like. I, that's, that's where I consider the peak. Like 33. I can see that though. Is is like kind of like even in athletics, oftentimes unless you've had injury or whatnot, like your early 30s is like when. Your intelligence and your physical ability, they kind of mesh like it. You're at the top. Yeah. After that, you start to, you know, that's a problem. That's so, a probably solid theory. That's probably it's, solid. it's just a weird theory I'm operating from. So I'm like, I'm on the back end of this thing. So the next 60, 70 years are 70. I'm not going to live to 100. But anyway. All right. Last statement. I've called my death date. You know, I say I called my shots. Yeah. I have an age. Like I have a. I want to live as age? long as I'm healthy and functional. I've called my day or my age to do to I, die. Is there? Does there? Does, should I ask? You can if you'd like. What is it? Eighty-seven. Why? I don't know. That's just that's the age I've chose. So funny story. But it's on record now. It's going to be out there. Eighty-seven. Which is cool because God can hear me calling it, but so can Satan. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it'll be eighty-six. <laughs> um, <laughs> So actually, that's one of the. So I'm gonna give a shameless plug here. My brother-in-law Matt Davis is starting a channel, YouTube channel, YouTube channel, TikTok brand, which called, actually did not motivate the topic today. It did. This was no, not. I, I just told Marty about this when Marty was bringing up. This was the topic. It's kind yeah. of a new thing. It's not launched yet, but it's called Death and Dine. and it's actually Dine, about D I N E D I N E like eating. Yes, Death and Dine. and it's about. Um, it's kind of mixing these two like topics of death, haunted places, ghosts, tragic stories, pre- like all this mixed in with food. Well, eating delicious food. And so it's this, um, it's going to be recorded. It's going to be shown. We're going to try to ramp mm-hmm. this thing up, but I told him we were going to bring him on and interview him. Um, uh, cause he's always got questions and they're, they're deep questions. Yeah. And I think you should come on and, and talk I think about we should it. do this. I think we should record a show in a creepy location eating some good food. Well, the Chronicle building is haunted. Oh, yes. And so I told him, I was like, let's <clears throat> start let's there. Do it. Let's do it. So that, that might be coming soon. So stay good. tuned. But shameless plug there. Death and okay. Dive coming soon. We'll let you know when it's live you. once there's episodes. All right. I think we've talked about this. I I think we have beat a dead horse here today. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Close. Just close. Just close. All right, guys. Until next time, y'all behave yourselves. Holla.
Thanks for joining us on another episode of TNJ. Don't forget to check out the links to any of our guests in the show description. And check out tattoosandjesus.org for additional show information or to submit your questions, comments, or curse words.